We are continuing, since last Sunday we had the missionary speaking, uh, we took a little pause, but we're back into small and powerful, okay? We are in week three, and if you want to be finding Philemon in the New Testament, it's right before Hebrews, and it's like one page long, so you might miss it. Make sure you, you go, if you find Hebrews, go to the book right before it, and that's what it is. This is the shortest letter that Paul ever wrote. It's only 25 verses, which, as you know, Paul, he really says a lot usually. So this is amazing. It's a letter to Philemon, and it was written while Paul was in prison. He had been planning to write Colossians at that time, a letter to the church at Colossae, and he went ahead and sent this letter to Philemon also at that time. And uh, you will notice that there's really two main characters, two main people in this account. One is Philemon, and he's the wealthy guy. And the second one is Onesimus, who was one of his slaves. And, uh, boy, he gets into some stuff in there, and he writes to his, the guy he calls his friend and dear brother in the Lord. And what's really cool about this is as we read this, this seems like, you know, like this isn't really deeply theological like most of the stuff Paul writes. But what it shows us is that God, his word to us is intensely personal. The things that God says to us, um, you know, he cares about everything that we're dealing with, everything in our daily lives. And Onesimus is a slave. He had been um, a slave for Philemon, and something happened. He decided he needed to get out of there. And uh, slavery had a long history in this ancient world. It was practiced in ancient Egypt, in Greece, and even in Rome, where Paul is in in Rome here. Uh, Most slaves during the Roman Empire were foreigners, and unlike in more modern times, uh, the slavery in Rome was not based on race. Slavery might include prisoners of war, or sailors that had been captured and sold by pirates, or slaves brought in from outside of the Roman territory as they were conquering these different areas. In hard times, too, it wasn't uncommon for desperate Roman citizens to either sell their children or themselves into slavery because they had no money. And in many cases, the owners treated their slaves or servants like employees, and some of these People perform domestic services, or they might be employed at highly skilled jobs or professions. In fact, accountants and physicians were often slaves. And many of these people were highly educated because what the conquering country would do would be to go in and take the best people and bring them back. And these are the people that were in slavery then. Sometimes, too, though, there was that dark side to slavery where unskilled slaves were mistreated and abused. And Romans, though, the the worst part of all of this with slavery is that Romans considered these people their property. And they had no rights, and they didn't have the legal standing of personhood. So this is the kind of person that Paul is writing to one of these slave owners, Philemon, who's a follower of Jesus Christ. And the gospel, see, needed to change the way that people thought about each other and saw each other. And the love of God was showing people like Philemon how to live out their faith in a way that honored God in all areas of their life. And for him to see that before the cross, all people come as equals. Uh, Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile. 
neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So you see the standing that we have as fellow believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, is there There isn't a like one is more valuable than the other. No matter what our background, no matter what our social standing, no matter what uh, gender we are, we come as equals before the cross. And this is what Paul is trying to convey to Philemon. Uh, he's helping to, him to see this for for God's restoration and reconciliation to occur here and for God to transform Philemon's thinking. So let's turn to Philemon and uh, just one chapter of 25 verses and let's read it together. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, and also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become both useful to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you would do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So there's this little church meeting at the house of Philemon in Colossae. And Paul had been in this area of Asia Minor for a couple of years. And during this time, as he had ministry there, many people came to know Jesus Christ. And one of them was this Philemon. 
And Paul calls him a dear friend, a fellow worker, indicating that in this time that Paul was there, that Philemon actually helped him and came alongside to help with the ministry there in Colossae. And they had developed a certain bond during this time, which is why he calls him my dear brother. And uh, then he, Paul moves on. He continues with his ministry in another place. And then some years later, he's in prison. And as we said, Onesimus had escaped his owner and ran to Rome. And this is like a thousand miles away. And uh, whatever it was that caused him to run, he ran there. Uh, it could have been even that he had been forced to be a slave and he just wanted to get away. Uh, but it sounds like there was a problem for sure. And he had left and went to Rome. And this is a city at that time of four to five million people. So you can see why he ran there because in Rome, he could kind of hide out among all the people there and he wouldn't be found so easily. It doesn't tell us how Paul and Onesimus, how their paths crossed, but somehow they got connected. And Onesimus in this time has become a follower of Jesus Christ. And according to Paul, he's been invaluable to help him there while he's in prison. And Paul asks the big ask. By Lehman, will you welcome him back as a brother in the Lord and as a fellow man? See, what he's telling him is not as a slave, but as an equal, as a fellow man in Jesus Christ, not as a slave. He's asking him to forgive Onesimus and welcome him back and elevate his standing to that of a man like himself. And Paul is saying, no matter what's gone before, there needs to be restoration and reconciliation happening here because of the fact that they're both followers of Jesus Christ. They're both dear brothers in the faith to Paul and both have been forgiven of their past wrongs and they need to forgive each other and be reconciled in that relationship. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20 says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So we have this ministry of reconciliation, first to be reconciled to God and then to be reconciled to each other. As followers of Jesus Christ, that's what God intends for us to do, that there isn't this problem between us based on some issue, that we be reconciled, that it, first we're reconciled to God so we're right in God's eyes and then we can be reconciled to each other. So... Uh, that's a word that maybe you think different things about. So let's talk about that. Group question, what does reconciliation mean? Redeem back from our prior standing? Yeah, if you've been in bad graces, you take care of that. Forgive and move on. Okay. Anybody else have a thought? Yes. And, and, and it's an accounting term. Account for what you've done. Forgive debts. Yeah. Um, 
it's, it's restoring those relations to a friendly level, right? Not just like, uh, I forgive you and then I don't ever want to talk to you again. It's restoring friendly relations. And in an accounting term, it means to make the ledgers equal, the, the cash out and the cash in, you know, and, and the expenses. All of that stuff should make it equal. We reconcile our checkbooks. Well, we used to anyway. I don't know, with online banking, how, how many people reconcile their checkbooks anymore? Oh, a few, few good people. <laughs> but it's to make it consistent. And so what it's saying is that I forgive you of that, the bad and you forgive me of, of any wrong I've done and we reconcile it, make it equal. We come together then as equals again before Christ. And so as we've looked at this book of Philemon, these short 25 verses, there's something in there for us about reconciliation, about how we can reconcile with others who either mistreated us or done wrong against us or that we have wronged, you know, uh, looking at it from both sides. So the first thing we need to do for reconciliation is to get our hearts right with God. And how do you do that? With repentance. See, we can't forgive others if we don't have the love of God in our hearts first. Before our relationship can be healed, our relationship with God has to be right. Our heart first must be right before God. And so the goal here is to take the necessary steps. And that can't happen without us first coming before God and repenting either of a wrong we have done or repenting of our response to a wrong that's been done to us. Because most of us don't have that great first response, right? When someone hurts us, we make a judgment against that person or we decide that we should have never been wronged. We don't just take it and go to the Lord with it right away. So this is a necessary step that we need to come before God and we need to say, God, I repent of that sinful response or I repent of the wrong I have done. Because for reconciliation, we can't have that junk going on in both of our hearts. So if we form some kind of bitter judgment against them or said, you know, I'm not going to have that happen to me again. I'm going to just not deal with that person or some kind of vow against that situation. When we do that, that actually opens the door to the attack of Satan. And so what we want to do if we've come to that place is we want to take that before God and we want to say, God, forgive me of that. But the motivation of our healing can't go from repenting for acting badly to then trying to act rightly because that's not true repentance. True repentance is to see ourselves and the one that we have judged, the one who has wronged us, as fellow sinners, okay? We're not better than them. They're not less than us. Otherwise, we get locked in that mentality of being a victim. So we don't repent of the judgment of the person and then slip into another thing of like, you know what, I'll forgive you because I'm such a good person. Or I'll, I forgave you even before you asked because I'm good and you're bad, you know. I'm so good, I just, I just forgive you already. Now, there was a time in my life I did that with someone. I'm like, yeah, I already forgave you. When they came and repented to me, yeah, I already forgave you. And what's wrong with that thing? That's not real repentance, okay? 
We need to have repentance with the cross of Jesus Christ to ask him to remove that sinful response from us, to help us move forward in that relationship with that person. And it's a process. It's not a quick fix. It's not something you all know. It's not something you can just decide and it's changed, right? We all would really like that drive through version where it's easy, it's quick, it doesn't require too much time or effort from us. But that's not really how it is. It's a process that we go through. And we need to be obedient to God, though, and see that reconciliation is something that needs to take place. Jesus prayed for us to be in unity with each other. And there is absolutely no way that we can have unity without repentance and reconciliation. John 17, 23 says, I and them and you and me. He's talking to his father so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What that means is that we need to to reconcile and repent, to be in unity. We are, that's our witness to the world. So if we have trouble with another follower of Jesus Christ or really anyone in our life, if we're living that way, that is such a poor example to anybody else. You know today with the rhetoric that's going on in our world that, that we don't want to fall into that. We want to be people who reconcile and are right, right with each other and live in this unity and this love and this peace from God. So Paul appealed to Philemon about the love of God in him and asked him to see Onesimus as God did, as a fellow believer and a fellow man. The second thing we need to do is to release forgiveness. Okay, As a fellow sinner and not this good guy, bad guy dynamic, right? The natural reaction when we're wrong is to see ourselves as the good guy. And to see the one that hurt us or wronged us as the bad guy. But this is not a win-lose situation. We don't knock them down as the bad guy so we can build ourselves up as the good guy. That's not at all what God wants us to do. And if we get into this dynamic, then anyone we ever come across that resembles the one that hurt us in, in the way they act and how they treat us, whatever is we tend to put that person in that bad guy category too. And it casts us in the role of this good guy victim in all those relationships. The true identity of the people is not what they have done. They are not the bad father or the bad employee or the bad sinner or the bad neighbor. That label is not who those people are. We need to see the people through God's eyes. And not by the lie of the enemy to us. They are not the evil they have done. They are not the evil they have done to us or to anyone else. We need to see that we're all created in the image of God. And like me, the person who has wronged me has a true identity. Whether they're living it out or not, they have a true identity in that I have to cherish. And I have to see that they, just like me, are probably broken, hurting people. And I must ask God to help me see this. So, think for a moment. What would we all be like if we didn't have Jesus? What, what would all of us be like if we didn't have Jesus? Just some ideas. Bitter. He didn't think he'd want to be here if he didn't have Jesus. Anyone else? Hopeless. Angry. Lost. 
selfish. Yeah. If we did not have Jesus Christ in our lives, we all are capable of doing wrong and evil, right? Yeah, without Jesus Christ. So what we need to do when someone hurts or wrongs us is we need to ask God to help us see them as he does. We need to forgive them and not see them as this bad guy, okay? And us as the good guy being wronged, because that doesn't minimize the pain. Believe me, it won't minimize the pain. But to be healed, what we need to do is release forgiveness, and then God can heal us. When we sit as the good guy in judgment of the bad guy and say, how could they do that to me? Or I would never do that. As long as we see them like that, as long as we see, see the situation like that, then reconciliation is not possible. And God's asked us to be reconciled. This goal of reconciliation requires the necessary steps, and it can't happen without repentance, and it can't happen without forgiveness. There was someone who had abused me in the past. You've heard me talk about this before, emotionally and mentally, and I have forgiven that person and moved on. Okay, but listen, if you start talking, if I start talking about it and rehearsing all those things that happened again, what happens? I start feeling it all over again. I can feel the pain and I can feel the anger. The words that I speak will open that door again. And so here's the thing. We don't want to use our words or mental space to be rehearsing all this because that will start affecting us again and it opens a door to the enemy to try and make us take back that anger and that pain. So if that happens, I just pray again and submit that to God and the cross of Jesus Christ, and I ask him to forgive me for my response to that, because that was wrong, and to break any agreement and fellowship with the lie of the enemy, trying to tell me how sad it is that I was a victim, how terrible it was I got treated that way. Or another thing that can be bad is if you hear something bad happen to that person that wronged you and you're secretly happy, Pray, okay? <laughs> we need to pray then. We need to, if that happens, just totally release it again to God. Because I can't have that in my heart and think that I'm going to be healed or move forward again in my faith. Uh, otherwise, guess what that is? That becomes like an anchor that holds me back from moving forward in my relationship with God and moving forward in my faith. And I can't achieve the destiny that God has for me. So we need to, first of all, get our hearts right with God. And then secondly, we need to release forgiveness. And then the third thing we need to do is when we've done that, we need to see that we were living in a position of victory. Get away from that victim mentality and allow God to heal you. Because when we release forgiveness... As a fellow sinner and not as a victim with a victimizer, we can't see them as not as good as us, right? We have to move beyond that because they hurt us. And if we continue to see ourselves as a victim, and if we believe that lie of the enemy, because that's all it is, we aren't victims. We don't allow God then to move us into that position of victory 
over that hurt, and we don't allow God to heal us. If we always see the person that hurt us as the victimizer, as the abuser, we're never able to move forward in our lives, and we can't receive what God has for us. So guess what? If you think of yourself as the good guy and that is the bad guy, that label of good guy is attached to you with the glue of pride. You don't want that in your life. You don't want to say, I'm the good guy, I'm the victim. Because if you leave yourself there, you're never going to get free. You're never going to get healed. Because that is a lie of the enemy, we need to release it to God and ask him to remove it from us and break any agreement or fellowship with that mentality. We need to ask Jesus to wash that lie out of our minds and replace it with the proper mindset. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, to have our minds renewed, we need to be willing to lay stuff down. We need to let go of that junk and lies of the enemy. We need to ask God to remove that from us and transform our minds into the way he wants us to see things. And when we're followers of Jesus Christ, then we can live our lives from a position of victory and not towards it. Do you know you are living in victory right now when you're a follower of Jesus Christ? How cool is that? In Colossians 2, 13 through 15, it said, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That's victory. See, Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities of evil. He triumphed over them. And when we live in relationship with Jesus Christ, when he is our Lord and Savior, we live in victory. First John 5, 3-5 says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So we can overcome all this stuff. We don't have to be stuck in it. We don't have to live in it every day. God has made a way for us to live victorious. When we follow him, we live in that victory. If you're not living in that victory, that's a lie of the enemy. And you need to surrender that to God and ask Jesus Christ to wash that off of you because you should not be living in defeat but in victory each day. We can live in victory. Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead to triumph over death and hell. And because of that, we can live victoriously every day. So if you allow Satan to mess with your mind and convince you that you can't live in victory, Repent of that today and lay it down at the foot of the cross. If you find that you're going through the day and you find you are just sitting in the stew of that victim type of thought process, then you're allowing yourself to be controlled by the enemy, by Satan. And Jesus didn't die for you to live like that. We want to repent of those sinful responses to hurt and to wrong 
And we want to repent of any wrong we have done to others. We want to forgive and release anyone who's come against us and release them to God in his mercy and allow him to deal with it. Because when you live with unforgiveness, the only person that is chained to that thing is you. And to receive the victory and power of God in your life instead, release it to him. Now, there are some times when reconciliation isn't possible, when it's not safe to be in a relationship with someone. But you still need to forgive that person. You need to repent of any kind of sinful response of judgment you've had and then release all that to God and live in that position of victory, even if you, because they are an unsafe person, you can't deal with them. Okay? That's the little parentheses here in this. A pastor was approached by the station manager of a local television station in Pensacola, Florida, to contribute a 50-second devotional for his program. He was reluctant to agree since he struggled to limit his sermons to even 30 minutes. But feeling impressed by the Lord to accept it, he did. So he sat back in his office chair and began to struggle with what he would share when the Lord spoke to him, a picture is worth a thousand words. A picture is worth a thousand words. Immediately he thought, wow, that's great. I can hold an object in my hands and I'm already a thousand words ahead. But what object, Lord? He said again, a picture is worth a thousand words. So he's really thinking, what is this going to be? I, I can't figure. And then a thought came to him what a picture could mean. Because he felt like God was saying, okay, what takes a picture? A camera. Oh, of course he could hold a camera, but what for? And then the Lord taught him a beautiful illustration of forgiveness. He asked, how would you like it for someone to be waiting for you? Uh, taking that first picture of you in the morning before you took a shower, before you shaved, before you did anything, right when you got out of bed, they took your picture. Okay. His reaction was the same as ours, like, oh, no way. And then God, he felt like God spoke to him and said, when we refuse to forgive others, it's like taking a picture of them when they're at their ugliest, never letting them be anything else but the person who offended us. And forgiving others allows us to tear up those ugly pictures of others, right? And it sets us free and it sets them free to be all God created and to really hear from God, for God to deal with both of us. None of us want to only be remembered for the bad. So today, we have an opportunity to do just that, um, to tear up the ugly pictures of those who have hurt us, right? And those who have wounded us, anyone who's abused us, lied about us, belittled us, slandered us, wronged us. So just, we're going to take a moment here before we close. Just stay seated. Just bow your head. And nobody looking around, just bow your head. Who would say, I have some ugly pictures of a person who has wronged me? Raise your hand if, if that's you. Okay. Thank you. Now heads still bowed. Just take that imaginary picture of them. And just think, of, uh, think, or maybe even just do it, you know, just quietly in your chair. Just rip up those ugly pictures of that person. Just rip them up and give it to Jesus. 
So how many of you are giving it all to God today? You're repenting of the bitter judgment, releasing forgiveness, and you are receiving the victory through Jesus Christ. Just raise your hand if that's you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Would you stand with me as we close? So I'm going to ask you to to bow your head as we do this. We're just going to raise our hands up to heaven and allow God to take the pain and the hurt. And just everyone do it. When we do, do these freedom retreats, we say, everyone do it so no one's embarrassed. So everyone just raise your hands up to heaven and allow God, think of you're giving it back, the pain and the hurt, any wrong that's come against you or any wrong you've done, you're giving it to him. And then allow him to replace it with his love, his peace, his healing, and his victory. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that as we release this to you, Lord, as we give it to you, thank you, Father, that your death and resurrection, uh, Lord Jesus, on the cross, that that was for us so we could live in victory. We don't have to live in that junk. And so, Father, I pray that if there's been people that have wronged us, Lord, we want to forgive them today. We want to let go of that hurt, let go of that wrong, and surrender it to you, Lord Jesus. We break any agreement or fellowship with that wrong, that experience, anything with thinking of ourselves as the good guy and they're the bad guy. We give that back to you, Lord God. Jesus, wash that off of us. Help us to, to live free of that. We don't want to receive the lie of the enemy. We don't want to have a sinful response of judgment against those people. Father, release that from us. And instead, Father, fill us up with your Holy Spirit. Give us your power. Give us your perspective. Help us to live in the victory that you have for us. Lord God, I pray that as we walk out this week, Father, help us to, to really be mindful of how we're living our lives. Help us to, Father, to live in that position of victory in you. And Lord God, we thank you that you are a God who heals. You are a God who restores. You are a God who redeems. Help us, Father, to receive that restoration first in our hearts and then to live in a way that offers that to others. Father, I pray where situations are able to be reconciled, Lord, that you would help us to do that. And, Father, I pray, too, that we would not think of people as less than us or us better than them, no matter how they're living, no matter who they are. Father, I pray that no matter what the rest of the world around us is talking like, that we would talk like you have said in your word, that we would speak words of life, that we would speak words of restoration, that we would speak words that bring peace and calm to situations. Lord God, give us your wisdom and your power to do that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.